Hi, and welcome to Rock Talk for Industrial Components. My name is Bill Martin. And I'm Paul Seif. So, Paul, what, what's going to be today's topic? Bill, you're not going to believe it. They've changed what is the it? UL. They've changed the UL specs again. Unbelievable! What? No. Again? I, they just again? changed it. They I changed it two that. years ago. Two years oh. ago, it's just like a biannual. Maybe they get a bonus on how often they change it. I don't I know. Think they do. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know if you know this, but UL changes aren't permanent, but changes. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to try to boil down and make it so, hey, here's the really key things you need to be aware of in the changes. And uh, that's that's what the show is going to be about. I think my father used to say that all the time. The only thing that's permanent is change. Wise man. I got it from Getty Lee. But as long as you're getting it, it's all good. Yeah. You know, every time I think I've got UL figured out, UL 508. Um, yeah, it seems like it's always changing. Uh, I can never seem to keep up with the the latest standards and, and trends with UL. How about you? Uh, I don't even know how to spell UL, and that's why we brought on Jonathan Johnson as our subject matter expert. Jonathan, please introduce yourself. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my name is Jonathan Johnson. Most people around the company call me JJ, and I'm an OEM technical consultant, and I've been with Rockwell for about 23 years. Wow, 23 um, years? Yeah, I'm one of those old timers. Yeah. Oh, I think I got you beat by by four. So that makes me really old. Okay. Dumb. Yeah. Okay. I, think we're all- I, I only have 21. I hope we're not comparing longevity now. <laughs> now I'm really the old guy. Great. Thanks. <laughs> but yeah, and I've worked, I've worked uh, in our custom panel and drive systems groups for years ago. And uh, that's where I kind of gained that working knowledge of UL and panel mm-hmm. design stuff. And then um, to top that off, if it is, if that isn't exciting enough, I'm also a functional safety engineer. Oh my goodness. Um, and yeah, and that means basically standards and reading standards is a large part of my day job. How, how big is your brain? I couldn't imagine keeping all that information. Well, not very, not very big. Cause all the stuff's written down. I oh, just got to go. know where to look. Oh, <laughs> I don't have to yeah. memorize it. I just got to know where to find it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, so I didn't know there was a technical consultant team at, at Rockwell Automation. Can can you explain briefly what what that team does? Yeah, yeah, sure. We're, so basically, uh, us we go by GOTC. Basically, we're a team of senior application engineers, right? We've come from a variety of industries or within Rockwell, and we just have a, a variety of application skill sets. And so, a, as a team, we we you know work on helping our machine builder, our OEM customers with new machine designs and upgrades. And we got a lot of guys, experts in drives and motion is kind of where we started, but we got guys that know controllers and networks and visualization. And of course, with the transition over to the whole IAOT, uh, we got guys that are now dedicated to that as well. Wow, that sounds like a great team. Yeah, a lot of smart guys. I don't know what I'm doing on the team though. (laughs) You're the (laughs) smartest, come on. (laughs) So uh, there's there's gotta be, you know, they they always talk about there's always the worst doctor somewhere out there. There's the worst doctor in comparison. So don't be worried about being on the team. Be on the team. Uh, so Jonathan, we we came together, and I know you're you're really an authority on this subject matter. And we we understand that um, UL 508A uh, re re released their third edition. So can you tell us, you know, what 
what are the things that are really important and what that new change brought? Sure. I got to ask you guys a question. I've been listening to your podcast for a little bit since you've been started. It's really good. So I don't know. Are you worried that it's bringing a standards guy like me is going to tank your ratings? Uh, no, man. I, I don't we're, know. We're expecting <laughs> we're expecting us to triple our our listenership. <laughs> all right. Well, don't say I didn't warn you guys. All right. So if this turns out to be a drag, uh, don't blame me. So I'll dive right into you all five way day. Just uh, I'll try to keep the alphabet soup to a minimum. All right. Or if I, you know, that's a, that's a challenge with this stuff, right? I, I always tell people if I if you ask me a really hard question, first thing I do is start rattling off all the, the clauses. And then basically, by the time I've gotten to the end of whatever I'm saying, you've forgotten the question. So it's a really good diversion tactic. So, yeah. So in essence, the trick with UL, right, there's this, um, it may seem like UL is making a lot of changes, but that's indicative of what's happening in our industry in general, um, because UL is kind of sort of, I, I view UL is kind of like a three-legged stool in conjunction with the National Electric Code, the NEC. And there's another standard, uh, industrial machinery standard called NFPA 79. Those three standards kind of work together. And UL, um, of course, is the certification agency for fire and shock protection, right? But the NEC is often the, uh, the standard for the installation Right. And like your UL and your uh, NEC inspectors and things like that for municipalities. So UL is trying to stay in sync. So the fact that UL has changed a couple of times in the last couple of few years is really indicative of our industry in general is kind of a lot of churning happening. So back in 2018, they did release the first third edition. Um, but then that <laughs> multiple third edition. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, uh, but as a result, there was still a lot of churning on the NEC and the NFPA side. Uh, and then some of that settled out. And as a result, they then felt they needed to do another uh, rerun of that third edition in April 2020. And it wasn't enough to warrant, let's say, a complete fourth edition. So I guess the upshot is just if you're a user of UL, be sure you're using the third edition and the one that's dated uh, April of 2020. Well, it sounds like UL's kind of doing the right thing though it sounds like in the best oh, yeah. interest yeah. Of, of users yeah yeah there's just a lot of change in our industry like you know like like well what paul was saying with the topic here uh, just a lot of stuff happening a lot of things changing and it does get to be a challenge to stay on top of it yeah got it you know speaking of change so with this this latest edition of the third edition of ul 508a you know what are the kind of the, the main high level things that our, our listeners should be uh, aware of for these changes? Uh, yeah. Um, so there's like three hot topics right now. I usually kind of go by my email inbox, right? <laughs> it's like, okay, what, what am I getting asked a lot about lately? And uh, if I were to kind of survey that, I'd probably say um, search protective devices is a, is a big one, right? Uh, there were some changes in that would align with the NEC and NFPA 79 there. So surge protective devices is probably a hot topic. Another one is uh, wiring ferrules. Uh, if, if you can't believe it or not, yeah. That, really? that cool topic of wiring ferrules is something <laughs> folk have been asking me about. And then, of course, short, short circuit current rating is always in the top three uh, of this uh, hit parade as well. Oh, yeah. That's always a fun topic, right? You know, for... Well, you mentioned uh, surge protective devices. That's um, one of my new product lines now. Um, so actually, I'm really curious. So what changed with uh, surge protection? Well, 
uh, again, it ties back to the NEC. So, so this actually started churning back in about 2014, right? So a lot of this stuff is, is things that kind of work themselves through the regulatory system, so to speak. So beginning in about 2014, the NEC had made some changes around surge protected devices, you know, protecting equipment against lightning strikes and incoming power surges and stuff. And then the NEC made another revision in 2017 where they carried that philosophy of surge protection into specifically the industrial machinery articles. There's one called Article 670 for industrial machinery. And so they were kind of carrying that philosophy through the document to, to say that surge protected devices are required where safety interlock circuits are um, present. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I guess that makes sense, right? You don't want those to, to fail because of a surge. Yeah, and, and if you think about it, in our machine world, right, pretty much every machine has some type of safety circuit, right? So as a result, those changes just triggered a lot of questions from, in my case, my machine builder community. Um, and so like you were saying, Bill, in response, we've had to kind of bolster or build up our, our uh, 4983 surge protector line, right, to help customers meet some of these new requirements and stuff. Uh, okay, so those are the products that, so it actually provides a customer a reason to use our, our Bolton 4983 surge protectors and filter products then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's yeah, it's to meet the final installation for NEC. So yeah, certainly, uh, and that's where we're getting a lot of questions around application of those products. So yeah, you have a white paper on that topic and stuff too, right? Yeah, um, yeah, Jurg, our product manager, has a, a really nice one to explain all, all the benefits of, of the 4983 product series. Yeah. Yep. Normally, that's what I do. I just email a link to that and say, you know, uh, call Bill if he needs some more help. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Please call. I'll be happy to answer. Yes, please call Bill. <laughs> that's that's going to be the takeaway. Fill Bill's inbox for email. And, and exactly. Flop his phone. <laughs> that's okay. I welcome it. <laughs> so, hey, Jonathan, uh, let, let's let's get into the next topic. But first, I would like to say. You made a comment that you're going to stay away from alphabet soup, and your first sentence started with UL, <laughs> NEC, and NFPA. So good job there. I'm, I, yes, I know. Normally, normally when I do this presentation, like to customers, I usually have a sales guy in the room, and I say, "Hey, if I use an acronym, I don't explain it. The sales guy owes you five dollars." <laughs> <laughs> nice. But they, yeah, sorry it. about they that. It. No, it's all good. It's all good. So. We you talked about ferals. Now I'm really familiar with ferals. We, that's how we used to wire stuff up on on the, the military ships that I was on. And this has got to be what 1950s, 60s technology. So yeah, how are we how are we coming back around to talking about ferals? <laughs> hey, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Right. Uh, so you're right. You're right. Um, even in my day, building panels, you know, 20 some odd years ago with Rockwell, and even before that, I worked for a system integrator. We never use ferals here in the U.S., right? But um, ferals were, well, first off, let me explain what ferals are for those who may not know. So, so if you think about, they're little basically copper conductive tubes, little tiny tubes, right? And they're, they're used to crimp on the end of stranded wire, right? And so in essence, you take the stranded wire, you put it into this copper tube that has a little insulated collar, right? And you, you crimp the tube around the wire and it's intended to keep the stranded wire contained um, because as you know it kind of fans out if you 
if you oh, uh, I've push had it that in. happen like on a 24 volt yeah. DC power supply where the two leads yeah. kind of touch each other and <laughs> yeah. short out. Yeah. Yeah. So, so ferrules have been used in Europe and Asia for many, many years. Um, and like Paul was saying, in certain uh, mill applications as well, because they are recognized to, to kind of have a better wire connection. I don't know why they never gained traction in our broader industrial community. Just never did. But um, there's some regulatory requirements over in Europe and Asia that require them. So a lot of times what would happen, right, is if a panel would be brought over, maybe a machine with that was wired with ferrules uh, came over to the U.S. and an inspector was looking at them, they would start to see ferrules. Um, that resulted in just a lot of questions. Um, to UL, right, which required them up until the recent edition, it required them to answer the questions in letters of interpretation rather than directly in the document itself, UL 5.8a. So, but they're gaining popularity here in the U.S. too, um, finally. Cool. In fact, uh, I know uh, we just introduced uh, or we partner with a company that um, has, a, I think it's Panduit. They have a machine that'll pop a ferrule on a wire it's really simple. You just literally stick in the wire and it yeah. strips and crimps the, the ferrule on. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty cool gadget. Right. And we, and we have the, um, you know, we, we rounded out our, our power terminal block or our pushing style terminal block line, right? Oh, our yeah. 1492 keys. Um, those are pretty sweet because if you do have pre-crimped wires, right. With ferrules and all you got to do is just push the wire in. Yeah. So that, that really, yeah. And it's kind of funny because being kind of the standard panel builder guy, I get asked a lot of questions around like optimization, you know, um, how to how to wire things faster and sure. less mistakes and all that kind of stuff. And so that, yeah, I've been really that, that, that 1492P has really kind of helped in that discussion too. So oh, yeah, nice. it's pretty cool. Great. Yeah. Hey, you said the third thing. So we talked about surge protection, ferrules. We also mentioned short circuit current ratings. I know that seems to be like a a, a black science to to understand. <laughs> I'm, I'm always baffled with short yeah, circuit ratings. I keep telling everybody I've made so far. I've made it for the last good ten years of my career on SCCR. So I said, if anyone really figures it out, I'm going to be out of work pretty soon. Right? So yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm glad you out. There's a lot of changes. This to your point, Bill. This has been probably the biggest question mark i get the yeah. most questions on sccr yeah, yeah i still can't figure it out right <laughs> yeah exactly but but i'm, I'm going to kind of share with you a trend here again like most changes in ul 508a the sccr requirements were written in to align with the national electric code are you guys seeing a pattern here yes yeah there you go so, so keep in mind Clear. yes keep Keep in mind that three-legged stool, the, the, the three, three Venn diagram of NEC, UL508A, and NFPA79. You can pretty much figure that the source of any, of, any changes or stuff are going to kind of come from one of those two. But yeah, so there's another article in the NEC, you know, uh, Paul, just to throw out some more alphabet soup for you. Um, NEC Article 409 had some requirements where they uh, changed a few things requiring panels to be marked with a rating. And then subsequently to not be installed where the available fault current exceeds that rating, right? So um, that's where, and then that linkage to UL508A comes in the NEC where the NEC basically says, hey, for an approved method of determining SCCR, go see UL508A supplement SB4. So uh, yeah, that's how you kind of, you get that you know, that cross pointing of one standard to another, that's how it gets kind of confusing. 
So along with my alphabet soup, I get circular references that point me back to other standards. That is yes. my favorite. Yes. Isn't it great? So, so it is. It's like half the battle, right? Is just kind of keeping them all aligned in your in your head. That's half the problem, right? <laughs> but so these yeah. changes then are really just kind of promoting then um, our uh, um, really the the molded case circuit breakers, the motor protection circuit breakers, um, fuses, maybe yeah. miniature circuit breakers. All of this can have a a good effect um, to to help with the short circuit current ratings. Yeah, yeah, because the trick with short circuit current ratings, it, remember, is um, it's all about your power circuit, right? So the SCCR requirements are only applicable to power circuits. So any of our components and products that are used for power circuit protection or, in, in this case, um, motor controllers, for example, um, drives, circuit breakers, um, exactly all of those products are um, kind of part of the power circuit and are subject to the SCCR. And probably one of the bigger changes in the last April 2020 that a lot of our customers might get caught off guard with is probably the requirement around EMI filters. Um, even in the 2018 edition, so the first third edition, they were still viewed as exempt from the short circuit current rating requirements. Okay. But in the 2020 edition, they drive filters now are included in the calculation. So, oh. yeah, so that's probably one that might catch our customers off guard. Gotcha. That, that's good yeah. to know. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. yeah. And, and in the case of our drives, all of our line filters, our products are all tested worth their accessories. So our line filters carry the short circuit current rating of the drive. So there's no issue with regards to application. It's just the customer needs to now be aware that they need to include the, uh, the line filter. All right, great. Oh, yeah. Thanks for the yeah. tip. Yeah. And oh, oh, another one. Isn't this exciting, Paul? It's so excited here. Yeah, I'm another ecstatic. Team. I'm ecstatic, and I'm still <laughs> awake, and I'm still listening. You're oh, still awake? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's gonna say. <laughs> nudge him. Yeah, we'll nudge him. So, so another kind of another important change, um, probably in regards to circuit breakers, is multi-tap logs. You know, oh, yeah. And those are, yeah, because those are for feeder circuit distribution, right? So right. we have gonna, those for our disconnect products. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, what you all added was a multi tap lug. You added to one of their tables in the um, oh, SCCR. Great. Yeah. Um, the problem is the they added them as a 10KA default rating, right? So again, people need to realize that lugs are now in the requirements as having a 10KA default. But it's very important to note that uh, that if it's part of a UL listed accessory, it carries the rating of the product. So in the case, oh. for example, of our 140G breakers yeah. or our disconnect switches that have, if it's in a UL approved lug, right, right, it will carry the rating. So you won't be subject oh. to the 10KA default. So, so if it's a 25KA disconnect, rated disconnect, the, the lug then can support carry that rating. Uh, yes. Gotcha. Oh, yeah, that's great to know. Yeah. Yeah, because some customers, what really kind of threw them for a curveball is they saw that lugs were shown as 10KA rating. Yeah. And they right. went, wait a second, I'm using your lugs on, you yeah. know, for, for you know, our six-pole six lug. And I said, yeah, don't worry about that. That's only if they're not part of a listed accessory. So some confusion kind of was there, too. Uh, but, yeah, so try to straighten them out on that one. Great. No, thank you. So, so 
so Paul, I hear you're you like uh, you like lists. Uh, no, I don't like lists. I can't stand lists. But <laughs> our guest speaker JJ loves lists, <laughs> and uh, I was going to ask him because you know part of what he does as a tech consultant is he he helps people with panel design. So I was. I was thinking, hey, JJ, how about laying one of your lists on, on us? And the one I one I thought would be interesting for our all of our audience would be the top five mistakes when getting started with panel design as it relates to UL 508A, which is our topic today. So yeah. lay it on yeah, us. I, <laughs> lay it on you? Yeah. Well, actually, I have like a top 16 list, but apparently you don't want to hear all of it, right? He doesn't have 16 fingers. Right. He only has five. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of, so, you know, if I find as a, as a GOTC, I, I tell people a lot of my job, especially when you kind of consume a lot of this information, a lot of technical information, um, Paul apparently doesn't like lists, but for me, it's a way to distill the requirements into very succinct thoughts. And that's how I have to convey it to my customers because sometimes it gets to be uh, hard to stay on track. So, um, but for me, I guess probably if I were just to kind of rattle off a few, um, like the top one, I'm probably going to guess that people get dinged on is when they use supplementary protectors as branch protection. Right. Oh yeah. Um, that makes we have sense. several, we have several products that kind of look like breakers and act like breakers, but they're technically not breakers for motor circuits. Right. right. So we have what's called a supplementary protector. Um, and we also have a similar, like our mini circuit breakers, right? We also have a similar line that, that's a UL489 flavor. So again, just being aware that if you're doing full branch circuit protection, you can't use these little supplementary protectors. You have to use a full-blown um, case breaker. That's a good one to know. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's where people get dinged quite a bit because mm. they look and act like a breaker and they are right. a breaker, right? In Europe, they're allowed. So again, you also have some differences there um, between the European... Uh, way of things in, in here. Um, but that's one of them. Uh, another common one, kind of falling under the similar lines of it looks like a disconnect and acts like a disconnect. And this is probably in your neck of the woods, Bill, um, where they use UL 508 manual motor controllers. Oh, yeah. As a main disconnect, right? Um, because it has the cool little handle that sticks outside of the cabinet. Right. Um, but it's not for a main, you know, like a main panel disconnect. It can be used for a motor. Uh, like, yeah, and that motor disconnect and stuff like that. Um, so that's kind of another one that gotcha. a lot of people call me about and have questions on. Um, oh, another one, slash rated devices. That's another one. I've, I've had a lot of questions on this one lately. Um, you're familiar with slash rated devices no. and what that means? Okay. We're going to need a, we're going to need a definition and a little you, education on the slash rated need a tutorial? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so there's some, there's some, you know, circuit components like power you know, circuit breakers and, and some of our motor controllers, they have what's called a slash rating. And more, a lot of times you read the slash rating and you'll see on the side of it, it says 480Y slash 277. Oh, right? yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a voltage rating. Right. Um, and again, pointing back to the NEC, the NEC says that you cannot, that you can only apply slash rated devices on what are called solidly grounded systems. Ah, uh, okay. Which is typically a Y power system with a solidly grounded neutral. Right. And, and in the United States, specifically like on the East Coast, some of our older power infrastructures are Delta power systems, Yeah, which would exceed that rating because um, 
because if you did have a ground to line fault, it would put more than 480 volts across one pole. Ah, got and, it. And uh, so, so those are only designed for clearing um, 480 at uh, 277 across the pole. So okay, that's, that's kind of what it means. Yeah. Um, and 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 also in addition, so it's a not solidly grounded system, and they'll apply these. Um, also, if you have high resistive grounded power systems, which a lot of facilities have, yep. you can also not apply them. So uh, okay. that's a common one. Yeah. Um, I don't know where I'm at, Paul. Four, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I was just going to add. Yeah, but let me oh. add one, one more comment. So, you know, coming from the military and the ship environment, those are ungrounded systems, which are also another way to talk about a high resistance ground. So the, yep. those, those would also be covered under that. Yeah. That, uh, yep. Stipulation. So yeah, you're on number four. Four. Okay. I'll, I'll speed it up here. It sounds like getting, it's turning into a drag here now. Right. No, um, I'm loving it. It gets better. The more you go, man. <laughs> Contain your excitement. Uh, group motor. Uh, that's probably another common one. There's some group motor rules and oh, yeah. application of those. Right. Uh, where you try to put more than one motor load or controllers under one breaker, for example. Right. Yep. Um, and again, that's a good way to optimize a panel, but there are some rules that um, you got to, it's a real set of kind of strict criteria that you can only apply this. And some people try to stretch that a little bit and uh, uh, they miss that. For example, uh, you can only, the largest single load can only be, for example, six amps. Uh, they might try to stretch this among um, like a broader section of uh, loads than that. Uh, and then probably the fifth one that I'm getting a lot of questions on right now has to be class two. NEC class two power. Oh, square yeah. We just had a podcast about that not too long ago. Yeah. Did you? Okay. Uh, yeah. So that's another one where it's just, it's a hot topic um, again, because regulators are starting to catch those issues and stuff. So oh, that sounds like so a great, that's, that's a great topic. Well, if you okay. want, if you want, Paul, I can, you know, maybe call you up later and I can share with you the other 10 and, you know, we're only paying you for five and I really don't have the budget to just keep going. So <laughs> Thank you for, for, uh, no, it's great insights, Yeah. but you know, as you just talked about, there's so much more on this topic. And I know for a fact, as we, as you know, as we started to prepare for this discussion, you have done a entire YouTube series on panel design that covers not only the changes that we discussed in, in today's show, but you also talk about all these other, you know, kind of things you want to know, things you might miss, common mistakes. Um, how about tell us about your your YouTube series? Yeah, so, so I put together this, this I call it, it's kind of a seminar type thing, about six or seven modules. I call it Panel Design Best Practices. And really, it's to kind of capture kind of all this stuff, right? All this regulatory jargon, but into kind of like my top 10 list concept, into best practices. So here's what it says, but this is how you can achieve it. And so I've, I've been doing this. I've been doing roadshows on this for years. And uh, one of our one of our uh, distributor customers asked if they could record it. Uh, I said, sure. I didn't know what that meant. Uh, but they had a little video camera going and I went through my spiel, like six hours worth of material. And then lo and behold, uh, they shot me a link probably about two months later. They actually had somebody edit my slides into the into the presentation. They busted it up into six nice modules, and it's they publish it out on YouTube. Um, so it's not me; it's one of our distributor partners that actually did it. Uh, really, really good job. 
unfortunately, they weren't able to take any pounds off of the camera shot, you know, <laughs> you know? but uh, yeah, they kind of caught me at a weird angle. So I, you get my, you get my funny looking profile, but yeah, so it, it's pretty cool. Um, I don't know if I'm going to blow up the internet anytime soon with it, but you know, it's, it's out there. People are welcome to, to view it, uh, check it out. Um, if you have any issues or questions, I'm just going to tell them to call Bill because I don't really yeah, just add to my to. In, <laughs> my inbox. Key takeaway: Call Bill. Um, yeah. So I would ask you to to share the ul u URL with our listeners. I now you got me doing alphabet soup. Thank you so yep. much. Um, You're welcome. I looked at the URL. It looks like the un undecoded lossy scrolls alphabet soup to the max. So what we're going to try to do is. Where, you know, if you look at where you found a link to this podcast, we're going to put the URL that's going to point back to your YouTube system on channel design best practices. So for anyone out there that's, that's you know, working with this on a day-to-day basis like Jonathan does, and you want to, you know, you want to get a little more uh, insight from him, that will be available to you wherever we've, you know, listed and put a link to this podcast. We will also include the link to that YouTube series. Well, JJ, I've I've learned a lot today. Thank thank you for uh, for clarifying a lot of things with the, the new uh, UL five hundred eight A third third edition. So uh, <laughs> you're welcome. No, Always we happy to help. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate you having you today on uh, Rock Talk. That was great. Mm-hmm. Paul, did yeah, you learn anything well, today? <laughs> I relearned my old age old uh, lesson of avoidance, and I'm probably not going to go read the the new revision. Uh, but that's why I really appreciate people like Jonathan that take the time and the painstaking effort to read through these things and boil it down and just, you know, explain to our audience what are the key the key changes. So just, you know, recapping today that the three main things that people need to be aware of in uh, in the, this topic were the added definitions around surge protection that aligned to the NEC and the NFPA 79 specifications. We also talked about the added requirements for wiring ferrules, and we talked about several changes that came up on short circuit current ratings. And one of the main ones that I think you highlighted, Jonathan, were for drives in motion control systems uh, is the need to add a filter and also add that into your calculation for short circuit current. So a yeah, lot of great... Part. And the multi-port log—that's that's a great one. That's actually a, a huge win for um, for our solution. Yeah. How did I leave that one out? Yeah, the multi-port log. So, yeah. um, Jonathan, thank you so much for boiling that down for yeah, us. It was a welcome. pleasure. It was a pleasure having you on Rock the Talk. And uh, based on your comments of of being safety certified, I can foresee us trying to get you back on here and talk about safety solutions. Great. Well, sound, yeah, happy to do it. Great. No, thank you, JJ. We appreciate it. Yeah, take care, guys. So, yep, so have Paul, a great, great day. Paul, what's going to be our next topic? Bill, I've been waiting for this one since we started this endeavor. Yeah. It's going to be called Push My Buttons. <laughs> Seems like your buttons are pretty easy to push. I think this is something that, like, the people that, uh, that I work with try to do on a daily basis. So, but we're going to bring it out to why you know why should people care about what kind of push buttons they're putting in their applications and what are some of the things that they might not even think about you know it's one of those things 
uh, like in your in your house, you walk by every day, the light switch, and you probably don't think twice about what it is or how it works. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna get a little bit deeper into that topic. So looking, looking forward to it. Me too. That'll be great. Yep. Thanks, JJ, for being on. Hey, Bill, thank you for all you do for the show too. Uh, thanks for listening to our audience. Please look for us. Find us on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and soon and maybe even when we this are. airs we'll be on apple podcast i as think well. we are there now yeah we're on a, okay i gotta yeah. see i gotta change my exit strategy here on the show um but hey like us please comment let us know what do you want to hear about because uh bill and i are open to anything this guy swam for the five oceans we'll do your topic on podcast exactly <laughs> all right thank you for listening we'll see you next time <laughs>